This is Mango and Peppers. We are a podcast talking about current events and pop culture with spicy sprinklings of Asian American and Pacific Islander topics. This podcast is part of your soul's daily recommended nutrients. This is Z. And this is D. Um, and thanks everyone for like hanging in there with us. I know we've kind of been on hiatus. Um, and that's because we both have been busy. So I guess should we do like a quick catch up? Like, yeah. What have you been up to lately, Z? I feel like I honestly just haven't really caught up with you personally either. I know. I know. This is like a two for one. <laughs> it is. But all of that to say, I think I'm good. Like I'm just like really happy because the weather's warming up and I know we I, I know I always talk about the weather. I can't help it. Like I'm from I'm a Minnesotan through and through, which means that I will always start a conversation about like with the weather. Um, but I don't know, like grass is out and that's a big deal for me because that means I don't have to like hermit at home anymore. But yeah, I feel, I feel good. I feel blessed. Yay. Yeah. How about you? Um, it's good. Um, I feel like I talk about this as much as you talk about weather. (laughs) (laughs) So I've been working out regularly. Um, I know I was talking about this in a previous episode about how I've just been feeling super insecure and not that great um and so I started going to the gym more regularly mainly because I, a, a girl pays $80 a month for that so I was like I gotta go and use it yes yeah, so I, I gotta get my money's worth um and so I've been so I think like two weeks ago I actually I went like five days out of the whole week which is a new record for me wow uh, and then I even finally and I've been I know Z I've been talking your ear off about this but I actually got the Apple watch so that I can track better track like my energy levels and like all just all my health stuff so long story short I don't know I've just been really happy that I've been more active and going to the gym and yeah oh my gosh more power to you that's so impressive yeah, I actually just finished the whole 30 like a few days ago. Oh, how did that go? Yeah. You know, it was not bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I think part of it is because I already really like to eat whole foods anyway. Mm-hmm. And so like doing the whole 30 was just like a nice reminder to be consistent about it. I know a lot of people complain that like during the whole 30, it's like really difficult, but I think it's like very much like your own personal experience but I don't really like to eat like a lot of processed foods and refined sugars anyway so um it wasn't too difficult although I would say like I really did miss dairy at certain points I don't eat a lot of dairy but when I crave it like I like really really crave it um and I like just like really wanted croissants like I made like a Facebook post about it and like people were like actually eating croissants in solidarity which I really appreciated (laughs) (laughs) so what's whole 30 for people that may not know okay so the whole 30 is like 30 days where you only eat like whole unprocessed foods so it's like no carbs or not no carbs sorry i'm not beyonce um (laughs) (laughs) um it's no no grains no alcohol no dairy no soy um no legumes so that like beans, you know, so that cuts out soy. Um, 
oh my gosh, and then what else? Oh, no sugar, um, like no added sugar, and and I'm a blank here. Um, but pretty much it was like a very like restrictive 30 day diet. And it's not like intended for like long term. It really is just like for like a short time. Um, just, just, it's like known as like an elimination diet reset button for your health, like your colon and your, and your gut and stuff. Um, so that when you do eat dairy, then after those 30 days, you can like be more in tune with your body and think like, oh, how does my body respond to dairy? Does it do okay? Does it not do okay? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the only reason why, not the only reason why, but a big reason why I started taking more of a conscious effort in trying to figure out and get my health in order is because I'm trying to prolong my heart disease. Because yeah. Because <laughs> my family has a history of heart disease. So Girl, I'm like, yeah. I gotta work this heart. I got to get my blood pumping. I got to get these joints moving because I don't know, just, I don't know. And like I said, I'm motivated by fear and I'm afraid of one day just falling down and not being able to get up. You know, honestly, like I want to create like a, <laughs> this is going to sound wild. <laughs> I want to like <laughs> create a workout that like simulates um, like gardening in the fields, like how Hmong people have been doing for like centuries. <laughs> so that um <laughs> our bodies can get back to like oh, yeah. health levels that we were back like when our ancestors and our um parents and grandparents were living in laos and thailand because like we are eating the same foods but we're so much more sedentary and plus like the foods like we're, we're eating it so much more frequently now, you know? Oh, yeah. And so, like, because, like, we're all going to parties, like, every weekend. Or our family, like, will kill a pig and eat that for, like, the whole month and a half, you know? So, it's just, like, with, with like, certain ingredients being so much more accessible, it's just, like, ruined all of our metabolisms <laughs> and, like, ruined, like, our, our cholesterol and our, like, blood sugar levels. And, 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 and heart disease is so prominent. Oh, but actually, like, I feel like this whole health journey has been making me, well, because I was, like, I feel like part of this health journey is, like, getting my mind right and trying to get it in the right place. And so yesterday, I actually had to clean out my refrigerator because, and, like, I kept, like, I have this bad problem of, like, not wanting to throw away food because I don't want my refrigerator to look empty. And, like, I didn't realize this probably until last year, like, why I did this. And, like, a lot of that has to do with, like, my food insecurity. My fridge back at my parents' house was just always, like, always had something in there. And so I feel like I got used to that and, like, this idea that, like, a full fridge means that you're doing well. Um, and so, like, part of, like, my food insecurity has been um, not being able to, like, not, not wanting to eat the food because I would rather just have it sit in my refrigerator than eat it and then have it gone to waste and then have an empty refrigerator. I know it sounds like kind of weird, but I feel like that's like one of the things I'm trying to work through. And so like me trying to make sure I'm eating my food out like before it expires or before it gets moldy or like doing a better job of like cooking different ingredients. Um, oh, I totally know what you're, yeah, I, I get it. Loop on this, like I feel like my relationship with food has changed so much um, after doing this cleanse, but also in the last year. And I'm sure like you can share about this too, because it's like, um, once I started realizing like, what was my relationship to food? How was it affecting my body? Um, 
I've just noticed how unhealthy of a relationship to food I had. And a lot of it has to do with like growing up in a really big family and growing up in Hmong households where like um, being in America, like having food on the table is like a really big deal. Like our, like our parents, like, you know, like if they wanted to guilt trip us, they would always say like, we have like, you have a roof over your head and you know, like we feed you every day. Like what's wrong with you? Like, um, but, but that's a big deal because like food scarcity is an issue in a lot of different parts of the world and um you know my parents and my grandparents and and relatives did experience that and you know and so that's something that I don't think I would ever understand but I think because of that like I have a really bad relationship with food because that also means that I like overeat a lot you know or I like have an issue with binge eating because I'm just like I can't waste food you know and um and I also like will always spend more money on food than other things because I just don't understand like what I don't understand like what is too much food and what's not you know or or like I would rather spend like 60 70 dollars eating like a big meal than like spend that 60 and 70 dollars elsewhere just because it's like that was my relationship with food so it's like if I have money then I use it to like nourish myself but beyond nourishment was like also just like plain old like gluttony you know and I think about like when I go to moan parties and there's always like so much pork belly everywhere and it's like people just slapping on like their plates and it's like stacked and sometimes if you don't you know sometimes if you don't get the styrofoam and you just get the Dixie ones like it kind of like falls off <laughs> like damn <laughs> and they just keep telling you to keep eating and eating and eating and it's just like yeah and, and and as a as a little girl it's like I don't know how to interpret that you know and so so that's something that I think is very subconscious because it's not like it was I was navigating my life with that in the forefront until until recently where I'm like oh wow like I never really had to think about what I was going to eat or how this food was going to affect my body, mm -hmm. you know, because my entire life I was too focused on thinking about like Being making fun. sure that I was fed. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, so, so like, and you and I talk about this a lot, but it's like switching from like a survivalist mindset into like a sustainable mindset um, has been a huge work in progress because for a really long time, I was living with like this survivalist kind of sort of scarcity mindset, but now I'm not in that position. And so I have to like shift gears, slow down a lot more and um, really focus on like, how do I have a sustainable lifestyle that isn't going to, you know, like burn me out by the age of 50. Mm -hmm. Well, so now we're going to move into our sweet portion of the show. Z, what do you have to serve us today? Yeah. Okay. So this is actually like such a sweet thing. Um, I got to pull it up on my phone though, y'all. Don't judge like, me. Is it like taffy sweet or is it like stevia sweet? Oh, um, <laughs> you know, I'm going to say it's like taffy sweet because stevia sweet is gross. <laughs> it kind of hurts actually. It, yeah. It has like a weird aftertaste. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> if you've ever had stevia, you know, um, but I wanted to talk about, um, a recent episode that was released on the CNN network for the show United Shades of America, in which, um, 
they actually came to the Twin Cities to do an episode on like Hmong Americans. And yeah, so cool. If you guys haven't seen it yet, please check it out. It's like, it was recent, it was earlier in May. It was like mid-May when it came out. But again, it's United Shades of America, um, season four, episode three. Um, on the CNN network, I, I, I subscribe to like my cable network so I can just like watch it on demand, but I'm pretty sure you can find like links somewhere or even on CNN. Sometimes they host like full episodes online, but, um, I just really appreciated it. Of course, like I was telling Dee about this, like before we started recording, I was like, it's a little bit of like Hmong 101. Yes. However, it is a nice refresher and like it's just nice to see people like me and also people I know like low-key like people I know on tv like on national tv if anything like I just want to give them like the viewer creditship you know like the viewing credits and so um um it was just really affirming to see our people on national tv and giving them the opportunity to share their stories like it wasn't like Kamua Bell like asking all of these questions it was just like okay camera's on what do you guys want to talk about you know and 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 like um just humanizing the Hmong American experience which I really appreciated um because he was talking to artists he was talking to politicians he was talking to Hmong business owners um just like just Hmong chefs you know like it just he it just covered like all of the things that we're capable of doing all of the ways that we're capable of contributing to america and and it just made me so freaking proud to be among american especially among american from the twin cities um because we are the largest urban population of Hmong people in america and that's a big fucking deal because we're able to like organize and be central in this in one location and really just get shit done and I like have so much respect for that and um and it was just so cool also there's like this scene where um he sits down with like Mooks and and Mei Liang and they just um Mei Liang does like a poem about how um what is it like papaya salad is like anal sex and I just thought that was hilarious but yeah it's just so good because again it's like multifaceted you know it's not just like one dimension of what it means to be Hmong in America it's just all these different experiences and stories being told and it was just so rich and I really appreciated it Mm -hmm. yeah so go watch it that's it for my suite um D do you want to talk about your salty topic I don't want to, but I will. <laughs> because that's part For of it. Like, we're laughing because the alternative is to cry. Like. <laughs> because I was like, I don't know if this is necessarily salt or if it's sadness. It's sad, salty tears. Mm. Uh, that's what it is. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I wanted to talk about the abortion ban that's happening in a lot of states in America. I think the most popular, or at least the ones that have been in the news cycle more frequently have been Alabama, Georgia, and some of the southern states. Um, but I also do want to make mention that it is happening in some Midwestern states. I think Minnesota was thinking about it for a hot second there. I don't know. I didn't follow that news story as well. Um, but if you haven't heard, basically, um, there is the abortion ban happening, and that basically means that um, you can't have it, or it is illegal to have an abortion after 20 weeks. 
But the problem with that is that basically they're criminalizing all abortions. I think that in some states, um, they are trying to find a way to sentence abortion doctors. And so if you perform an abortion, then you get like X amount of years. I didn't really do as much research on that part, but I know that that's happening. And I wanted to bring this up because one, I think it's, it's a terrible thing. Like I just want to make everybody aware. And two, um, well, but some of y'all might be pro-lifers. Um, I don't like, let's call them anti-abortionists because are you really pro-life? Yeah. And so I guess that's like, that actually is like a really good point you made, Z, because I think I've been reading a lot of posts online that say I'm pro-life, but I choose, but I would never, I would never not allow a woman to choose what she wants or doesn't want to do with her body. And so that's why I get like confused because I'm like, well then are you really pro-life at, at that point? Because aren't you pro-choice you know like I don't yeah, know seriously because yeah because I was like because pro and, and and this is this is I guess just marketing but, but I'm thank you for bringing this up as a topic be, um as our salt for the week because I think a lot of people are like how is this relevant to me and it's like here's the thing abortion is not this thing where it's like it's not like a fun thing okay but when but the last thing you want, the last thing you want is when it, when it comes to the, the risk that you're, you are the one in this position and you no longer have that option. That's devastating. That's the thing. And that's why it's relevant. You know, like you don't have to be pregnant. You don't have to like have had a child or had like any sort of like pregnancy risk or scares in the past to to understand like why this is important you know and and again like and that's why I don't I'm not like the most comfortable with people who like are anti-abortionists and identify as pro-lifers because I'm just like I don't know how do you know what that means (laughs) to be fucking pro-life because it's like if you're really about advocating for the life of human beings there's a human being right now whose life would be a lot worse for whatever reason if she did not or if they because like it's not just like cis women who can get pregnant okay like if they cannot get the abortion that they need mm-hmm. so are you really pro-life i don't know i need you to sit down and think about that for a minute and so it's just like um that's why i think it's so important because it's like laws are in place not to laws should not be in place to just police existing things laws should be in place as a like for like as a proactive you know as something that is like put in place like proactively in the case of risk or danger you know, so that so that there is something you can refer to and say, okay, these are my rights. But when your rights don't exist, when your rights are revoked, then what the fuck? Like, how are you, like, that's so dehumanizing. So again, are you pro-life if you're dehumanizing women? Like, I'm just saying. <laughs> just saying. I mean, so, there's a statistic out there, too, that says that one in four women have had an abortion um, and I know that one of like the biggest like 
things to really come out or one of like the biggest sayings is that you know somebody that has had an abortion yeah so whether that was like done at the clinic or a self-induced abortion and so I think for me too I mean Z you brought up good points about like safety being like um or like safety and health being like at the core of it because I don't know that's why I like I mean, there's like a story floating around and I wish I would have read more on it, but I think there's a 13 year old in one of these states who is pregnant, but can't get an abortion because, I mean, it's against the law. And so it's like, we really have to think about like, why is it okay for this 13 year old to bring this baby up when she's still a baby herself? Yeah. And so... Yeah, I don't know. It's like, it's so hard. Like, I have so many thoughts. And like, I guess I just don't really know how to voice it. But I mean, and like, I guess for those of you that are still like, well, I don't give a fuck. This doesn't really like affect my life. I mean, it does it really it have, to? have to. I was like, and also, I mean, like, if you want to like, br- break it down even more, like, and talk about well, Hmong communities more specifically, because I can't really talk about other communities. But I mean, Hmong women have been finding ways to um have abortions since the beginning of time so it's not like abortion is like this new thing in our community i think that women have always found a way and the truth is is that women will always find a way but at what risk right yeah absolutely it's like these abortion bans are not going to stop abortions Mm -hmm. what they're going to do is they're going to ban legal safe procedures for abortions okay Mm -hmm. that's like if y'all want to, like, if y'all really want to go back, mm-hmm. or you can, like, really think about, like, how to safely have these procedures, mm-hmm. I'm just, like, I'm so irritated thinking about this. Like, honest mm-hmm. to God, like, don't you think that if my, like, if some some people had access to um, abortion and and birth control and, and all of these things that, like, maybe their lives might have been a little bit better? Yeah. Seriously, it's just like, I don't understand. And I think intersectionality when it comes to these things is so important because I think um, this, you know, you know like be, um, like a woman's right to choose tends to be covered as like a white woman's cause, you know, like a white woman's fight, but it's not. Um, and this is kind of going back to like, oh, I'm a Hmong person, like how is this relevant to me? This is again about... Um, like, how do we ensure that there are laws in place to protect our, um, our women? Mm-hmm. And, and back in the day, like, trigger warning, because this has to talk about rape culture, but, like, back in the day, women would have to marry their, like, their assaulters, you know? And, and that's fucking terrifying. And, and there are still people in our, in our community that practice that. There are still young girls and young women who are marrying the people who assault them. And and I just like be be in that position where you're you're in a position where you are having like you are impregnated through sexual violence. Like don't don't our girls deserve that right to choose what what's next for them? And what they can do so that they can have a better life, aside from like not only marrying the people that the person that assaulted them, but also having to bear that child. 
through sexual violence. I just don't understand. Like intersectionality is so fucking important. And as as Hmong people, as as Asian Americans, if you're listening to this, like this can affect our community too. And and again, this doesn't this goes back to being proactive and just ensuring that these laws are in place. It's not glamorous. None of this is glamorous, but it's needed. During this portion of the show, we just want to take a quick break to thank you for tuning in. If you have not already, please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Mango and Peppers for our updates. Now, back to the show. Okay, so um, our spicy for this episode. Um, it's hot. Oh, I was like, hot, hot. <laughs> it's hot, hot. <laughs> I was trying to be, I was trying to be Quavo with like the background noises. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's, he's the ad libber here. <laughs> Um, we're gonna talk about managing expectations with family which i think is like a pan-asian issue (laughs) is managing expectations with family but yeah hot topic for show whoa yeah i feel like i think for me it i don't know if it's managing expectations so much to be quite honest versus the way that my relationship with my parents has grown as I've grown. Because I think that with, I guess it's intertwined in some ways, right? Because as I've grown older and have, I guess, won over their trust in that sense, I think their expectations of me started to level out and my expectations of them also did. Um, And so just to like get a little bit more specific, um, I grew up in like a pretty strict household. Like, Homegirl did not see the light of day unless it was for school, like up until like college. So, but I don't know. I was like, okay with it at some points because it was like, whatever. But I mean, like I was so sheltered to the point where my parents didn't even let me sleep over at my cousin's houses. Like that's how I think that's how, I guess, I don't think it was bad, but that's how intense it was. Um, And so I, uh, I think that that had a lot to do with more so with their fear of the world around me and not so much. I mean, looking back in hindsight, I, like at, at that time, I was like, my parents are so unreasonable. But in hindsight, I think it had more to do with their distrust of the world around me uh, because, I mean, like they were fresh ass like refugees in America. They know nothing about this land or the customs. And so to bring up children in a land that you are still trying to figure out yourself can be like a really hard experience. Um, and so I think that for my parents, their solution was just to trap us all and only let us go to school and tell us that like the only thing that we needed to focus on was our education. And I think I've like mentioned this before in a previous episode, but I think that at some point my relationship with my parents became super transactional because it's like I go to school, I get these good grades, and then they take me on shopping sprees. So that's why like I think at some point it started just like becoming like that. Um, and so by the time that I got into college, I remember like all hell was about to break loose, which made no sense to me when I told my mom that I was going to go to, uh, live on campus. And that didn't make sense because my sister had lived on campus. My brother had lived abroad. My other brother went to school in Mankato. So it wasn't like they were like, it wasn't like people hadn't left the house for a long period of time before. And so, um, I think that at that point I was just, I remember I was just like, mom, I am about to be 18 years old, and so 
what I said, no, I, I actually did say this. I was like, mom, I'm 18 years old. I, if I was going to make a dumb decision, I would have already made it by now. So the fact that I haven't made that many dumb decisions means that you can trust that I will still continue to make smart decisions as I go off to college and live on my own. And she had nothing to say. So I was like, great. That's <laughs> Problem solved. Yeah. So I feel like that was a moment that my mom stopped seeing me as just her baby, but like as somebody that was growing into an adult. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, honestly, from that moment on too, I think that kind of just changed the tra- trajectory of our relationships. Cause after that, I just kept making my own decisions and I just like fill them in later. Cause even with my dad, when I, cause they were like, okay, fine. It's just one year you're going to be at the dorm. And then I signed a lease the year after that, but I signed the lease before I told them because I needed to be chopped in the lease so that they had no option yeah. to say yes. And so I remember my mom was like, no, you're going to come back home. Uh, it's not a good look if a long lady lives on her own. And I was like, well, it's not a, it's not even a good look that a Hmong lady is going to school like this. So I don't, I don't get it. Like, what, what does a good Hmong lady look like? You know? Yeah. So I was just like, well, whatever, mom, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm legally trapped in this. And so then actually it was my dad that came out of the woodworks and was just like, you know, like, I think she'll be fine if she wants to live on campus because it'll help her do better in school. Uh, we should just trust that she'll be, she'll be fine. And so, yeah. so yeah, so I don't know. I think that, um, so I think that for me, managing my ex- expectations with my parents, I don't know, it was like, it was like relatively easy because I'm also non-confrontational because I mean, even as like a teenager, like I didn't really feel bad that my parents didn't let me go out. Like there were, I mean, obviously there were times when I felt bad about it, but I think at that point, I just knew that education was the thing that was most important to me and so as long as I focused on that and got into college then that's when like the hard part would start where I would like start kind of like pushing a little bit more but I mean all this to say too I'm like the youngest in my family and as I said before I think my siblings had already gone through the works and so I think by the time it was me I think my parents just got tired of parenting so they kind of just let me run free and then just let my siblings handle any fault that I had which wasn't that much because I'm responsible, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I guess that's just like the beginning and that's like the backdrop to, I guess, my yeah. on this conversation. And, you know, I think, um, every generation is just gonna inherit a different set of, um, like situations to navigate. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think for our generation, like the the 1.5 and second generation um, Asian Americans and like especially like Hmong American, Hmong um, American women, like we're just going to have to navigate the fact that we, our parents are immigrants um, and are navigating, you know, living in a foreign country. And so with that comes a lot of fear and anxiety. Um and I, and I feel like your example is like a, is, is an example of, you know, kind of like that all or nothing. It's like when, when there's all of these fears that are ab- about like what's happening in the outside world, then the, the way to result, like control, like, or like reduce the amount of, 
of liabilities or things that can happen in your family is just to like not let your daughter out at all you know so 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 it's like all or nothing you drive uh, past my house I'm at the windows with my hands just like, <laughs> I'm like help <laughs> um yeah so so I, I mean I think that's a really common experience that a lot of like people our generation share um I just know that like with with our like the generation that comes after us like our children and our nieces and nephews like they're gonna inherit a different set of issues because now they're probably gonna like I mean like I've just I've just accepted the fact that like my kids will probably need therapy like no matter like how much I I can offer them guidance and love like they're just gonna need therapy because you know like they're just it just, um, there's just, like, family dynamics and, and shit that just, like, doesn't, what am I trying to say? That just doesn't disappear after, like, two or three generations, yeah. you know? Don't I mean, on. right, like, we're trying to, what you and I and, like, what future generations are trying to do is, um, like, deconstruct multiple generations and hundreds and thousands of years of of oppression like that's like <laughs> that's not gonna that's not gonna go away and we're all you know, trying to fight the patriarchy that exists in our family right right so all we can do is really like this episode is about learn how to manage like all of these things that are happening and and in the process like remember to take care of ourselves and and love ourselves and and people around us um and i and i think that comes with just meeting people where they are, you know? And I think, Dee, you're really good at that because, like, you know, we, we've talked about, like, our relationships with, like, our parents, and I think you are, like, so so much more reasonable than me because <laughs> you're just, like, that's just, like, the tools that they have to navigate, you know? And you just kind of have to meet them there. That's not and, – and I, and I think what I mean by that is not necessarily, like – that shouldn't justify what it is that they do. Like if someone inflicts harm onto you, whether that's like emotional, psychological, or physical harm, like you don't like, I don't think there's anything that could justify them hurting you. Mm-hmm. I think all you can do is understand and meet them where they are. Mm-hmm. And then from there determine like, does that mean that you should continue to engage with them or what is, the, or do you need to know, like, do you need to set your own boundaries? Mm-hmm. You know? And, and I think that was, like, pretty much my experience, like, of my adulthood was, like, learning how harm has been done onto me and understanding what my, like, family triggers are so that I can set my boundaries. Because, because um, like, when you're, when you're, when I was a child and living under my parents' household, like, their responsibility was to, like, feed and clothe me. So sometimes I had to, like, keep a tight lip and you know, and that's how I knew that I was like, I can't wait till I'm an adult, because then I can just go to therapy and like, (laughs) talk this out. (laughs) But, but as an adult, I don't, I don't feel like the same sort of, um, like societal, like, like household pressures to, to keep a tight lip with my parents. But do you think Um, it's because you no longer live in their house? Um, or you don't rely on them as I don't, much in those ways, you know? I don't rely on them as much. Yeah, I think there's something about, like, 
distinguishing my independence from my parents that allows me to set my personal boundaries with them. I think, um, I think when I was still like financially tied to my parents, um, or like resource, like some sort of resourceful, like some sort of resource tied to my parents, then I felt more inclined to be like, okay, fine. Like you just said something like really fucked up, but I need this from you, (laughs) you know, like going back to like what you were talking about that, like it does kind of become transactional. Um, it, yeah, it was really hard for me living under my parents' house because I like, just felt super conflicted all the time. And I felt like I couldn't be completely honest with them about what I was passionate about or like what was on my mind because I was always afraid of like shame. You know, I was always afraid that they were going to shame me or that they were going to, um, like tell me that I was wrong and, and to think my, like to, to think differently. Um, I, and I think that's why I struggle so much with like perfectionism is because um, I internalized a lot of my feelings and the only things that I ever presented to my parents were things that I knew were like near perfect or like met their standards, you know, like anything else that like was ugly or was unfinished or imperfect. Like I try to hide from my parents as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, and like that started as a child and into adulthood. And even though I don't live with my parents anymore, like those sort of patterns of behaviors stuck around. And so um, all of that to say, I know that one of my like family triggers is to be really people pleasing in, in, in my family. Like, and so a boundary that I have to set in order for me to manage my expectations with my family is like when my parents start to get a little bit, like start to talk a little bit too much about my personal life while I'm in the room, I have to like just kindly excuse myself, you know, because I know that I'm like triggered because I will like start, like start just being like super defensive and just like want to like say things, you know, because I, because I'm very much like a, like when we talk about like your, your stress responses, there's like fight, flight, or freeze. I'm very much like a fight person. (laughs) And so, so like if, if I notice that like my parents or my siblings are just starting to like get a little too into my personal life, I have to just like tap into maybe flight more than I would fight and just kind of kindly get up and say like, Oh, okay, whatever. Like I got to go to the bathroom or something just to like get out of the room so that I, I can like re recenter myself, you know, before I, start to inflict some, some harm onto these people that I care about just because I feel attacked, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, I I think with Asian families, especially like big Asian families, there's so much pressure to conform. Um, but I think for me, I just have to constantly remind myself that like, it's okay to do my own thing and it's okay that I'm different. Mm. Um, I don't think I heard that enough growing up, you know? And so as an adult, I have to constantly remind myself, like, I am still a part of this family, even if I do different things, even if I speak differently or look differently or I'm passionate about different things. Doesn't, that doesn't discredit me 
from being like a member of this family yeah that makes sense yeah i mean i just wanted to touch on your um like your perspective on flight being one of your coping mechanisms Mm -hmm. for me i think i like really resonated with that too because um as i said i think growing up it was hard to say what I actually wanted to and to think outside of the situation that I was in because I was like oh my parents are just being really strict because they're my parents and that's what they do but I think it wasn't until I like left that situation and lived on my own that I was able to look at the situation with much more clarity it's like what they say sometimes distance does make the heart grow fonder even though mm-hmm. it's like well cliche Uh, because now when I do go back and I live with my parents or stay with my parents, even for like, like an extended amount of time, I just get, I just am reminded of the reason why I can't live with them. And I know that sounds really (laughs) fucked up as like a long daughter, but I'm like, I just, it's like when you have a really great friend, but they're just not a good roommate. It's like, I feel that way with my yeah. parents, you know, because it's like, I love y'all, y'all have, I will always love you, but that does not mean that we need to live together at this point in time. Like, if you need to live with me when you're a lot older, like, that's cool. But right now, it's, let's not do this, because it's going to put a strain on this relationship. And yeah. I think that me, move, like, me living on my own is definitely, like, a boundary. Like, I don't know, like, for me, it's a boundary that's, like, helped maintain and even improve my relationship with my mom, at least. So, I mean, I guess that's, like, I just wanted to add that into there. Yeah, like, boundaries is my favorite word as an adult. Mm-hmm. It really is, because it's, like... I bet it, you the boundary waters, don't you? I, <laughs> you know, fun fact, I'm actually heading there this summer. <laughs> <laughs> but I can't cross the uh, Minnesota side into Canada because I don't have a passport. Um, <laughs> but boundaries is my favorite word as an adult because it, there's so much power and being able to determine um, like how much I let in and how much I give out, you know, like it, it just, um, it's like a part of me you know, when, like, when we talked about, um, like, female health, um, this is, like, I feel like setting boundaries, like, physical and psychological boundaries is part of also reclaiming your female health and body, you know, like, to reclaim my body, I need to know, like, like, just listen to my body, and if I'm starting to get stressed out, if my heart is starting to beat really fast, if I'm starting to talk way too fast, like, if I start to, like, if I start to like salivate and I'm like low key foaming at the mouth, <laughs> bitch, it's time you tap into your boundaries, yeah. you know, <laughs> and like just walk the fuck away. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, and it's so healthy because you're, it, it means that you're in tune with yourself and, and you know what it is that you need in that moment. Yeah. And, and, and the power of just saying, no, thank you. Or saying like, think I love you thank you and then just like not arguing Mm -hmm. about it you know because sometimes like sometimes my parents just say stupid shit because like they think that they're trying to protect me and then I used to argue against it but now with me setting my boundaries with my parents I understand like I practice gratitude and when my parents like give me shit I just remember like my parents had a really hard life um, they, na- they're navigating living in this foreign country, um, and have provided me 
a lot as a child that they really didn't have to because they low-key didn't really even have the means to and they still did it and so I'm just gonna hear them out I don't agree with shit that they're saying but I'm gonna give them the space I'm just gonna give them the space that they need to let it out you know because it's not healthy for my parents to internalize shit either you know and so if I'm in the headspace um, where I can provide them with like just an environment to let their shit out, then I'm going to do that. I'm not going to absorb any of it. And then I'm just going to be like, okay, cool. Love you. Bye. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. that's, that's just what we have to do because I think, I think I'm just like, I don't know about you, Dee, but I just feel like right now I'm just in a position that my parents are not where I can do a lot of healing for myself and for them. Because I think, I mean, this goes back to like my struggles with perfectionism. I think when I was really young and very impressionable, a lot of the things that my parents and even my siblings like would say to me, I did take very personally because I didn't know who I was. You know, I really thought that I was just, I mean, like I, who I was at that time was just an obedient daughter and, and sister who just wanted to do everything to make her family happy. That's who I was. So everything that so everything that my parents and my brothers would say to me, I really took into consideration. And sometimes when they said really hurtful things to me, like that shit stuck around for a really long time because I didn't know who I was. Yeah. But I feel like now as I've had time apart from them to really understand like what are my values and are they different from my family, you know? Once, once I determined that I was like, okay, I love my family and this is what I can, this is what I connect with them about. This is what I agree with them, you know, agree with them about. And these are things that I don't. Mm -hmm. And so in that way, when they say shit, that is like, like that would be hurtful to me. I can say just like, you know, just like kind of flick those things away. Kind of like the Monopoly song, like Ariana Grande and Victoria Monet. Oh it's like, it's like bad vibes get off of me. Like out there with that fuckery. Like sometimes I just have to remind myself, like, this is just straight up fuckery, you know? And so like, just out of here. It doesn't mean that I don't like, and I think some people might think like, oh, so then isn't that like fake? Isn't it just like, you don't really love your family if you are like dismissive about some of the things that they do. And it's like, it's not like, the world is not black and white, everybody. Calm the fuck down. Like, um, it's it's just like sometimes if I, like a you can't choose your family. <laughs> um, you have your chosen family. You have your chosen you family. Your blood family. You can't choose your blood family. That's right. That's right. Um, but when it comes to my blood family, um, because family, like, like the system of family is a personal value of mine. I have to approach it with a lot of compromise, mm-hmm. you know, and I have to, and, and, and so, yeah, sometimes my family says shit and I do dismiss it. Like I am dismissive of it. That doesn't mean that it's because I don't love them or I don't respect them. It's because I love them and I do respect them that I ain't trying to cut them right then and there. You know, it's the fact that I am willing to listen to them. One of these days, they're probably going to say something that is really profound. And I should be like, you know what? You're right. One of these days, it really like, it really happens. It really happens. But I still allow them that space because that's the compromise. Yeah. I mean, it just goes back to what you said, D. Like, 
like nothing beats clear communication from a place of love mm-hmm. honestly like mm-hmm. nothing def- like nothing beats that and I don't think you need to know like the perfect words to say um I think if you just speak from like speak your truth right that's all that matters and 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 I think you, once you do that it's very liberating and and yeah, and yeah, just like take it from there. I don't know what else to say. You just got to take it from there. I mean, I guess there's one thing I will add. I think for me, one of my like insecurities is, I mean, I guess I've kind of alluded to it, but not having enough control of my life because I felt like it was so controlled. And so I think that when it comes to having some of these conversations with my family members, it like I want to control the way that they're going to react. So because I think that I'm coming from a very like altruistic place of love I want them to react with that same kind of in that same kind of manner but I think it's taken me and it's still something I'm working on but it's taken me a long time to kind of break out of that and say look I can only conduct myself in a certain way and I can't control the way that this person is going to yeah you can't exactly yeah and so if I know that I went into it like not self well I guess I mean everything's a little bit selfish but if I went in with like being as selfless as I possibly could be and this person is still reacting to me in a hostile manner then that person isn't ready to have we're not having the same conversation I'm not going to engage in that conversation so meet me when you're ready yeah like don't take on one of my and again this goes back to boundaries like I don't take on anyone else's emotional labor mm-hmm because mine is already a lot. You know, like if, if you are in a place where you're like, okay, I'm good with my feelings. Let's work through your feelings. Cool. Gucci. But like, if you're in a place where it's like, I can't work through your feelings and mine, then don't, you know, because I'm, I am already like a bag of feelings, you know? And a lot of the times when there is confrontation, it's like, if I need to speak my truth, that's so that like I can heal, right? Like when, when people talk about like the truth will set you free, it's like be honest with yourself and listen to that and say what it is that you need to say and just know like the other person might be receptive of it. They might not. That's not the point. The point is like, bitch, you matter and you deserve to be free and you deserve healing. So do what you need to do in order to get to that place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is all we have for you today. If you would like to share your thoughts on anything that was talked about this episode, or if there's a topic that you would like us to discuss in the future, please feel free to drop us a line or maybe a few at hello at mangoandpeppers.com. If you like this podcast, please follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Mango and Peppers for updates. And remember, life can get busy, but it is always important to stay nourished. So thank you for choosing mango and peppers as your snack today.